welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. Well, I'm coming at you from up here in northern Arizona and winter is really setting in up here. We've already had a little bit of snow. Most of the big game hunts in the state are wrapping up. There's still some late season elk hunts going on, maybe a few deer hunts as well. But my season, my season is wrapped up. I was uh, just the other day putting up all of my equipment and it was it was bittersweet. Um, it was sweet because boy, I've been away from home a lot on hunts and I've been away from my desk a lot and I am uh, I'm behind on everything. So uh, it's nice to to not have all of all of that day-to-day grind stuff hanging over my head, but but also, you know, boy, that, that guy by so quick. I only did three big hunts, and when I say I, I mean my family. I only had uh, uh, a deer hunt of my own, which was a wonderful uh, hunt. Took the whole season off, hunted for five full days in uh, Arizona's beautiful border country, and ended up bringing home a, uh, a gorgeous coos buck. Uh, so that, that was wonderful and a great, much needed hunt. Uh, I had my wife's elk hunt, and while we had several opportunities, her being kind of kind of new to this stuff and, and not wanting to make mistakes, we, we passed on a few opportunities and we, and we missed one shot. Then, then I have my little boys, Havelina hunt, a youth Havelina hunt. We, uh, we're in a new unit in some new country. And, you know, I'm just so proud of that kid. Uh, you know, for a 10 year old boy, he, he can climb mountains all day long, day after day. He doesn't complain, he enjoys it. We always have a great time. We did find some javelina uh, on our first week. I think we hunted a total of six days. On our second day out, we found some javelina and kind of spooked them and called them back in with a predator call. Uh, almost up to six feet is where I finally stopped this javelina by waving my arms as it was running in at us. And I guess for folks that don't understand what's going on there, is if you spook a group of javelinas, you can uh, wail on a predator call, which sounds is designed to sound like a dying rabbit screaming dying rabbit and my hypothesis is anyway to a javelina that that sound comes across as a young javelina in distress so those animals will more times than not come rushing back in with uh, tusks snapping and hackles up and ready to fight and we had one run right up to us and i stopped it because i didn't want to get too close to my boy but that javelina would not would not present a broadside shot. And him being a good little hunter education student, uh, waited for that perfect opportunity and unfortunately did not get it. Uh, He had several other opportunities, but they were far and they were fleeting and it just didn't come together. After that, we just could not find any more javelina. And it was amazing habitat. We covered a lot of ground, glassed a lot of country, couldn't find them. We found a ton of mountain lion tracks though. It's got me wondering if maybe a you know a predator population like that can have a localized impact on, on game animals. If you got any thoughts on that, write in and let me know. I've never been one to blame an unsuccessful hunt on predators. I like to hunt in intact ecosystems with its full host of predator and prey animals. But boy, this one was just fishy. The habitat was just too good and we covered a lot of ground. And I consider me and the boy, we're pretty good javelina hunters. We can find them usually. You know, we've never not filled the tag. So this case was a little bit different, but so that was my that was my hunting season wrapped up. Good news is there is still plenty of small game and bird and waterfowl opportunities to come as well as late season archery deer. So still lots to do and there's always fish to catch. You might know that if you listen to our last episode uh on the oh lord i don't even know what i call it i think the plethora of fishing opportunities in arizona something along those lines it was just our last episode go back and listen to that it was a good one but you know i'm not here today to talk about hunting and fishing we are talking about water in arizona and we're doing that with the director of the arizona water infrastructure finance authority it's a big title that's with chuck Podolak. Chuck is uh, is a water expert here in Arizona, and he is kind of going to give us the lowdown on what what's to be expected in water policy in Arizona post the Sackett case. Now, if you're not familiar with the Sackett case, I would urge you to go back to episode 23. 
and listen to, to our episode, Are Our Waters at Risk with Joan Card, another water expert. Um, so that was post Sackett case. Uh, I'm sorry, that was pre Sackett case. This is post Sackett case. Water is important in Arizona, no question about it. Um, and Chuck's, uh, Chuck's knowledge on the subject is, uh, is extremely valuable. So I urge you to listen to this episode, uh, learn about uh, current water protections in the state, learn about that Sackett case, learn about what to expect in the future. All right, with that, I, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and I will see you afterwards. All right, Chuck, um, let's go ahead and just start with some introductions. Tell us uh, who you are, um, what you do, um, and just, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Where Michael. Where you from, that sort of thing. Thanks for the uh, invite and the opportunity to do this. I appreciate you being here. So I'm Chuck Podolak. Uh, I am currently, my job is the director of the Arizona Water Infrastructure Finance Authority, or the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority of Arizona, WIFA. Uh, so we're a, we're a state agency that uses uh -huh. public money to help improve the water situation in Arizona. Yep. Um, personally, I'm a, a hunter and angler, uh, mm -hmm. AWF member, and, and I really like what, what AWF yeah. does. And we got, we got to hunt a couple times together this Absolutely, year. Absolutely, yeah. I had to participate in the AWF BHA uh, squirrel, mm -hmm. uh, family squirrel camp, which was fantastic. A big plug for uh, people to get out there next year. Got my love, first squirrels. Love that camp. Yeah, at, at squirrel camp. Um, so I've been in this, this job no, for about nine months. Uh, prior to that, I've been bouncing around, I say, the, the water and political world. Mm -hmm. um, go way back, uh, get a PhD from Johns Hopkins University in river science, fluvial ah. geomorphology, trying to understand how how water and the earth interact to shape river channels. Oh, wow. Um, that, that wasn't sure how lot, that applied. A lot more interesting yeah, yeah. than the pol political world. Absolutely. Um, wasn't sure where that was going to lead. Turns out, you know, fast forward a number of years into the, the WOTA stuff we'll get into, that really had a, a strong connection in that, yeah. that, that geomorphology background, had a, uh, helped interpret what, what the EPA was doing and, and inform some opinions on that. Um, I've had the opportunity to be a natural resources policy advisor to two elected officials. Uh, so first for Senator Jeff Flake, working mm -hmm. on his D.C. staff for about three and a half years. Uh, wide portfolio there, water, energy, public lands, wildlife. Um, I was there in D.C. during, so as a, uh, we're going to get on Clean Water Act and WOTUS, as, as, as that job applies to WOTUS. We're there during the 2015 Obama rule, uh, which was a little bit controversial. It was, uh, so I had the opportunity to engage with a lot of Arizona stakeholders and national level stakeholders on the Clean Water Act, on WOTUS on what they felt the pros and cons of those different rules and different approaches were. And then had uh, got to participate in several unsuccessful efforts to, to do some legislative clarifications to WOTUS and what the Clean Water Act was. So I, think, so I come at the, the WOTUS from that. Uh, the second version of that was as a natural resource policy advisor to um, Governor Doug Ducey mm -hmm. for about a year and a half um, in similar portfolio, public lands, wildlife, energy, water. Um, as it relates to Clean Water Act, I was one of the, the jobs I did there was a primary liaison with Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was there while worked very, very closely with uh, ADEQ and the crafting of the Arizona Surface Water Protection Program. Right. So this is the new in 2021 Arizona statute governing uh, clean water, helping to, and hopefully we'll get into that a little bit more, but yeah. some fill in some of the gaps uh, that, that may be around the Federal Clean Water Act. Um, so again, same thing, dealt with the regulatory agency, dealt with very closely with a, a number of uh, legislators on what was what was possible to, mm -hmm. to put into law and dealt with a lot of the stakeholders, uh, those who wanted a very expansive surface water protection program, those who wanted a very narrow surface water protection program. Yeah. And so I was like understanding what the desire of the regulated community was, understanding what was politically viable and sort of walking through wow. uh, what we put in place yeah. in Arizona. So you've kind of lived through all this in the past. A lot time. of it. Yeah. And then uh, in between those uh, those policy jobs, I worked for the Salt River Project, SRP, mm -hmm. a major water and power utility here in the Valley. Um, my main job there was more on the legal side, dealing with water rights, litigations, conflicts over water. But I did, and did get involved in uh, SRP's analysis of, mm -hmm. of the Clean Water Act and of WOTUS, 
they've got an interesting position in, on the one hand, they're, uh, they're regulated entity. So they have, they're subject to Clean Water Act permitting. And so they, they bring a, uh, a view of, of a regulated entity, but they're also very interested in what the watershed looks like. What does the Salt and the Verde watershed look like? What is the development? Who's being regulated? What are the permits up there? And so mm -hmm. um, that was interesting to look through Clean Water WACT, WOTUS through those lenses as well. So yeah. I think that, so that's where I bring, come to the conversation from sort of all those different um, backgrounds. Yeah. SRP was um, present as a stakeholder at a, uh, restoration of Thompson Meadow on mm -hmm. the West Fork Black River. Okay. Um, I think kind of led and run by Trout Unlimited. Mm -hmm. um, but but it was it was interesting to hear their perspective Absolutely. You know, on, yeah. on, on downstream water, you know, and where yeah. it comes from. But yeah. it was great to have them there. They've been very active in uh, watershed restoration, yeah. particularly forest health. They've been uh, very, very active in that and still are making sure that we get um, Arizona's watersheds, Arizona's forests back mm -hmm. to a healthy state. So it, it's producing the, the water, it's producing the wildlife, it's producing uh, yeah. everything that we want out of our forests. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They certainly have a, have a stake in it, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, um, I appreciate that intro. Um, you clearly have the bona fides, Chuck. <laughs> uh, and, and I already told you, I'm going to, I'm leaning on you yeah. heavily on this because, because my, my water policy knowledge is, is limited to the point where I don't even know if I can, sure. if I can lead a, a reasonable <laughs> conversation on it, but that's yeah. why you're here. Yeah. Um, so I can go ahead and learn with the listeners, but let's, let's start with, um, some laying down a foundation, um, and, and just kind of, uh, Getting, getting some terms lined out. So first off, what is the Clean Water Act? Yep. So the Federal Clean Water Act was one of a suite of environmental laws that were enacted in the, between the late 60s and, and mid-70s. And in that era, we're looking at the effects of industrialization through the, the mid-20th century. We're seeing some of the, the impacts and really generating the national will to put some um, national-level laws in place. Uh, what the Clean Water Act says essentially is it makes it illegal at the federal level. Uh, it's a law by Congress that says you shall not basically do two things. The first thing you shall not do is you shall not, I use layman's terms here, dump pollution into a water. Sure. Um, the other thing it says you shall not do is you shouldn't dig dirt out of a river or you shouldn't put dirt into rivers. This okay. usually gets termed dredge, dredge or fill. And fill. Right, so you can't discharge you can't dredge and fill. And there's a big unless, unless you get a permit. So you, you are prohibited from doing that. It is a, it is a uh, and there's actual criminal penalties to some of these things. So you shall not do this. It is illegal to do that without permission. Permission mm -hmm. in the form of a permit. That permit would come from the uh, federal EPA or the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, the, there, so Congress doesn't have the ability, the United, federal government doesn't have the ability to just prohibit that blanket everywhere. Yeah, it always it has to come back from something, right? So this stems from the the Constitution giving power, giving Congress the power to regulate commerce, mm -hmm. commerce between states, and so the, the 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 debate about this comes in: where does that prohibition apply? And and that's where the waters WOTUS or waters of the U.S. come in. And so the Clean Water Act doesn't apply on every square inch of of the United States. It applies to waters of the U.S. And that's all the Clean Water Act says, is that, that it, it applies to waters of the U.S. And now it's up to the regulatory agencies, the EPA, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, under several administrations to define, well, what does that mean? Because mm -hmm. it's a pretty vague term. Yeah. Um, there are some things that I think are uncontroversial waters of the U.S. Territorial seas, big interstate, interstate rivers, mm -hmm. big giant lakes, Great Lakes, think of Colorado, Missouri. Um, I don't think there's any controversy that those are waters of the U.S., that yeah. that Clean Water Act applies to that. If you go to my backyard, it's pretty flat. Um, although if it rains, it still sort of runs off into the, into, mm -hmm. um, into the street. I don't think there's any argument that my backyard, my quarter acre in, in urban Phoenix, is a water of the U.S. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in between that, there's yeah. some controversy of, is this a water of the U.S.? Is sure. this water of the U.S.? Yeah. And that's where a lot of the, the Clean Water Act debate comes from, is what... Where does it apply? What is a water yeah. of the U.S.? Where do you draw a line on mm -hmm. something that, you know, the very nature of water and its various forms, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. It, it, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take a lot to, to understand where the controversy comes here. Yeah, I mean, a, a drop of water that falls on Mount Graham will end up in, in, in the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. 
but where do you draw that line, right? right. That doesn't make the peak of Mount Graham uh, um, a jurisdictional water of the Clean Water Act, but somewhere on the that that uh, water route. droplets uh, okay. journey to the Colorado River, it will end up in something yeah. that's uncontroversial. I, I would suspect. I would suspect, and I'm probably getting ahead of ourselves yeah. here, but the unique nature of Arizona and our surface water and our groundwater, yeah. I guess for that matter, probably makes it even a little more complicated here. Yeah, and it's you know the the debate, particularly at the federal level, is very much driven. Um, by the more populous eastern U.S. Sure. A lot of the science, again, back to the, the PhD, this, a lot of that fluvial geomorphic really was the foundation of that science is out in the east. It is driven by an understanding of our eastern rivers, our eastern mm -hmm. streams, our eastern hillsides. Um, some of the terms we use really come out of out of the science in the east. And, and back to that, that 2015 effort by the EPA, there was a large three, 400-page scientific document that said this is the science that we're leaning on. And when you go through that again with a Western eye, you're like, man, you know, 98% of this document is, you know, the studies, the science you're doing are in yeah. streams that don't look like Arizona. They don't look like Utah. They don't look like Colorado. And so that, that's a challenge of that sort of that different nature of the East and Western U.S. Okay. Well, I mean, before we, I, I, my natural progression yeah. was to get right into Sackett, but yeah. before we do that, do you want to talk about your old boss's uh, tenure and his authorization of the ADEQ um, yeah. to develop a some legislative for the state legislation yeah. for the state. And so I think what I mean, it, it sounds to me like mm -hmm. with WOTUS, yep. it has been like a, a tennis ball getting hit back and forth with, with each yep. new administration. It sounds like it's been all over the place. And it's not. It's less. What should the Clean Water Act be? Mm -hmm. It's more where should the Clean Water Act apply? Mm -hmm. um, and it really goes down, I think, to that constitutional question of there are limits to where the federal government can act. There are limits to what the Commerce Clause allows the federal government to do. And so we'll, we may all want it to be illegal to dump bad stuff into streams. The federal government, the Clean Water Act, may not be the only way to answer that. Okay. Um, I think there's... there's uh, very few people would argue that some of these, you know, again, let's go to the top of Mount Graham. Mm -hmm. You probably shouldn't be able to just dump a bunch of garbage and pollution on the top of that. Sure. Is a Clean Water Act sure. the way that we prohibit that? No. All right. Let's go down to Colorado River. I think everyone's going to agree, yes, the Clean Water Act applies to that. Um, trying to make the Clean Water Act do everything, I think, is what's led to some of this debate over WOTA. So as you pointed out, you know, one federal administration comes in, you get a different EPA administrator, and they say, okay, the rules we're going to put into place um, to define what that jurisdiction, not rewriting the Clean Water Act, but just saying, where does it apply? Where yeah. do we apply these rules? You know, one administration takes a very expansive, uh, probably overshooting. Another administration comes in, takes a very, very narrow, probably undershooting, and that that's led to multiple Supreme Court um, litigation. What we did in Arizona in 2020 and then successfully in 2021 was to say a couple things. This ping pong is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. There are waters in Arizona that we want covered. Under some federal rules, uh, some federal administrations, those waters are covered by WOTUS. Under some federal administrations, interpreting those rules, it seems that those waters are no longer covered by WOTUS. So let's just say these are the minimum coverages in Arizona. These will always be covered. If they're not covered by the Federal Clean Water Act, they will be covered by an Arizona program. Okay. And that comes from a belief that federalism matters, that there is a role for the state. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some of the some of the reactions to the Clean Water Act, some of the reactions to the, the lawsuits over WOTUS gloss over the fact that there's a role for the state's environmental regulation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've, I've worked with a number of different um, staff at the Arizona Department of Quality. I've, I've worked with Director Cabrera under uh, under Governor Ducey, under, with Director Peters under Governor Hobbs, um, their leadership team, their staff, and they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that, you know, the federal government needs to do everything, that these professionals at ADEQ, you know, can't protect our environment, I think is just is just law. So mm -hmm. coming from that that mindset that states matter, that federalism matters, that Arizona can step in and do the environmental regulation where, where there's um, uh, 
where it's not allowed by the federal government, where we'd say the federal government doesn't have the authority to work here because it's not tied to interstate commerce. And so we, we designed a program. Now, we didn't just take the Federal Clean Water Act and say, cut, paste, that is the Arizona. We said dredge and fill was, a, was a, a little controversial. Dredge and fill, in my opinion, has really morphed from uh, a real clean water, water protection to something that's more akin to zoning. Um, the dredge and fill, the so-called 404 permits that you need to give a dredge and fill, get to, to comply with the dredge and fill, is something that a lot of people have used to prohibit different kinds of land use. Okay. Uh, have, have to slow down development, to slow down, you know, you and I may disagree over a certain subdivision, mm -hmm. uh, but rather than arguing about whether a subdivision were exist or not, we might have that proxy fight over sure. the 404 permit for that. And right. so the, the using dredge and fill, particularly in a place like Arizona, um, where there's a lot of things that people might argue are streams, Mm -hmm. um, it, that was, was very, very controversial, and that just didn't have the consensus. So there is no equivalent dredge and fill in, in the Arizona okay. uh, program. But there's that, that discharge, that prohibition. So we said under state law, you cannot, again, layman's terms, dump bad stuff into rivers. Yep. Um, and so there is, a, there is a discharge permit in, in the Arizona Surface Water Protection Program. So the, the guts of it are... Here is our list of rivers. This list of rivers you shall not dump bad stuff into unless you come get permission from DEQ. And then there's, you know, how do you get permission? Well, you've, you know, you make sure that your discharge is, you know, complies with these limits. And sure. They're set by health and science. Um, the other, so two key aspects of what we did in Arizona is one is we didn't just copy the dredge and fill that we think that felt like that it really morphed into a zoning thing. We said you can have those land use arguments in different venues. Okay. The other thing that we did was to list the streams. And that's one of the, the, the big, big complaints about the Federal Clean Water Act is you don't know where it applies. Yeah. And there's criminal penalties. So it says, you shall not do these things into a WOTUS. You're like, all right, I want to comply with the law. What's a WOTUS? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, under previous saying, well, it's, it's, there's a significant nexus of biological and these connections. You're like, well, I... Okay, but the thing on my land, is that a WOTUS or not? And the only way you could answer is to go hire a consultant, pay a lot of money to figure out, have someone giving you an opinion. Okay. Um, so rather than have that nebulous definition, we in Arizona said, here's a list. So you, Mike Cravens, know if I'm going to go down to this river, is that subject to the Arizona Surface Water Protection Program or not? I just uh -huh. look at the rules and I say, well, it's on the list or it's not on the list. And so I think that clarity on are you subject to the regulation or not was something really, really important. And that was a thing that we were able to write into the Arizona version. All right. Well, two questions mm -hmm. that immediately come to mind. Yeah. What qualifies a river to make that list? Yep. It was just tough because it's hard to say what qualifies to make a river in Arizona. Yep. Um, and where does that river start when we're talking about headwaters? I mean, yep. you know, I'll, I'll just leave it yep. there. Yeah. So we generally use the presence of water and how long water is present. Okay. Um, in, the, in the Clean Water Act framework, they generally divide water bodies into three types, mm -hmm. or what we would call um, perennial. Mm -hmm. There's water there every year. All the time. So I can go down to this thing, I can put my, my foot in it any time of the year, and my foot gets wet. Yep. Okay, perennial. Um, Roosevelt Lake, West Clear Creek, uh, the Agua Fria, the Colorado, um, Lake Mead. There's a, a, a second category that, that call um, intermittent streams. Mm -hmm. So these are streams that don't have water in all, all year long, but they're seasonal. Yeah. Um, largely driven by snowpack, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to, you know, this river may from, say, May through September have water in it as the snowpack melts and it sort of makes its way down. Once the snowpack's gone, things kind of dry out. Then it becomes dry, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not a day-to-day -day thing. It's a you know maybe it's two months of the year, five months of the year, eight months of the year. Gotcha. Um, but during that season, if you go down every single day, you put your foot in it, gets it gets wet. You put your foot in the next day, it gets wet. Your foot, foot in. Um, those intermittent. So let's lay out those three categories. So we've got perennial streams. We got mm -hmm. these intermittent streams, and then the third category is an ephemeral stream. Mm -hmm. um, it's not ephemeral in the colloquial way of like, oh, it's cute and small and everything. It's yeah. the, the, the meaning of ephemeral stream is it flows in relation to precipitation. Yeah. 
a, a pool can be ephemeral. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. There's a, you know, rainstorm ends up water flows yeah. in this channel, rain stops a couple hours later, rain stops, you know, yeah. the channel goes dry. Um, it's really that third category that generates a lot of the controversy of the Clean Water Act. Okay. Um, and I've dealt with a lot, both at the federal level and the state level, a lot of people who are interested in the Clean Water Act, a lot of people who are angry at the way the Clean Water Act has been administrated over the last 25 mm -hmm. years. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but most of the serious groups who have been involved in WOTUS, who have been pushing back on the, the um, alleged overreach of WOTUS and, and few administrations, would all concede perennial streams. Mm -hmm. You find anything that almost sure. any, that you and I would go down to and be like, that's a, that's a creek, that's a river. And they're like, yeah, you know, that should be protected. Yeah. There's a lot of agreement on intermittent streams. I don't know that there's quite as much consensus, mm -hmm. but if you go like, look, it's June. Let's walk around the landscape. Anything that we see that's running, that's probably good. Yeah. You get broad consensus on anything in that category. Absolutely should be covered. Um, and those are the two categories that, we're, that are categorically covered in Arizona. Okay. Anything that's in that perennial, anything that's in that intermittent, that for either the entire year or most of the year, you could go down to it and you put your foot in it, it gets wet. Mm -hmm. Where there's been more discussion is in the ephemeral of what is an ephemeral stream. Um, and again, to, to your earlier point about east versus west, there's a difference. If you go find an ephemeral stream channel, a lot of, a lot of the work in this um, that the EPA relied on in 2015, a lot of the work that's been done in the geomorphic science has been done out in the east coast, in the mm -hmm. Appalachians. Um, the rainflow patterns, when you, see, when, you, when you have an ephemeral stream, say, in West Virginia, a lot of this actually was done around mountaintop removal mining of what are the effects of, of um, ephemeral streams on water flowing through ephemeral streams. You may be looking at a, a stream that has water in it, you know, once a week for 20 weeks. It just, this constant rain flows every day, it flows a little bit, and then it dries out, flows mm -hmm. a little bit, and it dries out. The connection between the shape of that river of saying, okay, well, how do you know that that's actually an ephemeral stream and it's not just a little low spot on the, on the earth? In the humid eastern U.S., you can go out and find, um, find water in that fairly often. Then you come back out here and you say, okay, I think about this a lot when I'm out quail hunting. You know, the low Sonoran Desert, right? It's, it looks pretty smooth from the road, but you get out there, right? Yeah. And it's just full of these... Five, 10, 15 foot little ditches. And instead of just going straight, right, you're always going up and down, yep. up and down. Like I step over that. I thought about this a lot as we're developing that surface water protection program. I'm out hunting. I'm looking at this. I was like, is that an ephemeral stream? Right. You know, five, six step up, and I go down. I was like, oh my God, is that another ephemeral stream? And so every little dip in the landscape that carries water when mm -hmm. it rains. Um, now it mainly see water. Once every five years, once every ten oh, years, I, I a big gully it. washer so, and so that curves goes on up the there. street. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Oh. Um, and so that's where a lot of the, the controversy yeah. has been of if you say every low spot on the earth that ever carries flowing water right. in a rainstorm is subject to clean water regulation, pretty much you have more of the planet, more of the the, the surface of Arizona subject to that regulation than not. Okay. Which isn't to say you shouldn't trash that stuff, right? But mm -hmm. we have, we have programs that govern where you can put waste. We have governed programs that put, govern where you can put hazardous waste. Yeah. We have programs that govern where you can put water. It's not going to flow somewhere, but it's going to sink into the ground and go in an aquifer. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that there's a just because you can't find a low spot on the earth that carries a little bit of water during the rainstorm, um, that that's not protected from a, a the surface water protection program, it doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want on there. And okay. I think that's sometimes what gets lost is you want one tool, whether that's the Clean Water Act, to cover everything. Yeah. No, I, I very much appreciate and understand the complexities here. Yeah. Um, and, and the more you think about it, the deeper you dig into it, yeah, the more more nuanced it becomes. A um, couple points I would like to make. Yeah. And one one is a question. Well, first, I'll, I should say, and just being a wildlife guy, this yeah. is immediately where my mind goes. And I'm not, I'm not speaking to whether there should or should not be regulation yep. to ephemeral pools, but... Yeah. 
absolutely vital for amphibians. In yeah. fact, all yeah. of our amphibians in Arizona, and minus yep. a few that are there along our perennial waterways. But but yeah, they're all those those special creatures that yep. come to the surface of the earth once a year, do yeah. their thing, and go back down. Yeah. And that's only when there's water present. Um, the other, and this is this is my question: What would this classify as? Um, I remember uh, spring turkey hunting in uh, Bear Bear Wallow Wilderness, yep. um, and I went way down in this canyon. And I'm walking along Bear Wallow Creek, and there's maybe a pool every 40 or 50 yards. And this this was at the height of drought. Yep. But in each of those pools, where it's just a bunch of Apache drought just doing their thing. And one, it just it blew me away that that species can survive. Because I don't know any other trout that could do that. In those kind of I mean? pools, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but they were there, and they were seemingly doing just fine. But what would you, what would you categorize a section of stream like that? It really depends on where that water comes from and how frequently it gets in there, okay. um, whether it's a intermittent stream. Yeah. Now the, um, you know, if that pool is there all year long, mm-hmm. that, that's a perennial pool. Yeah. Now, you know, if there's another pool downstream, if they connect only, only infrequently to when, it, when it's raining, that stretch connecting them, that might not be. Yeah, but those two pools that hold that water all year, perennial. that makes sense. Um, or intermittent if they're there for seven or eight months. Right. It's hard to imagine though a fish successfully yeah. surviving in something that's going to go dry. So you would right. you would assume that in those pools, at least the pools um, would exist year round. Yeah, I would think in most cases they're yeah. probably connected as well. Yeah. Like, so that that was at the height of a yeah. drought. I know we've had a had a couple of wet years since, yeah. which has been really nice. But and we do. You know, I know, I know we mean to talk water quality, and I think we can stay on that. But when it comes to both water quality and water quantity, Arizona is really mm-hmm. pretty advanced in how we think about groundwater, how we right. regulate groundwater, at least in very populated parts of the state. And that applies to water quality as well. And so we have, we've had long, we've long had this aquifer protection program, which means if you have a pool, mm-hmm. it's not nothing flowing in of it, nothing flowing out of it. And that pool, the water is going to sink down into the ground, and it's going to go into an aquifer. That's considered a drinking water aquifer by the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, and you have to have a permit for that. Mm-hmm. And so some of these things that we, you know, some of the fights about ephemeral streams, you want to argue and shoehorn one regulatory system into it where arguably another regulatory system already exists. And so a lot of those things are ephemeral because the water sinks into the ground and it goes down into yeah. the groundwater and aquifer. That's already protected. You can't just go dump something in there because you're going to be impacting the, the groundwater. Yeah, because I, I, uh, I think that's a concern of a lot of folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and we have a very strong aquifer protection program, a very strong regulatory structure already in place that protects our groundwater, the, the quality mm-hmm. of our groundwater. Interesting. Um, and so it's it, it's that whole suite, right? But that's not sexy. That's not a good the, the sure. headline of, hey, you know, EPA just rolled back, blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. the eye-catching headline. Um but when you, you know, the, the true story, the, the facts of it are like, okay, well, there's this layered set of regulations that have involved the Federal Clean Water Act, involve Arizona surface water protection, involve Arizona groundwater protection. You take all those together and suddenly you're like, okay, we're actually in a pretty good spot in Arizona. We have, um, it's not one thing solving all those problems, but it's all those regulatory yeah. things. And then you layer on that our um you know, our regulations about solid waste, our regulations about hazardous waste, you know, all right, what, what's the vulnerability? What is that place in the landscape that I really care about? And what am I, what is the action I'm worried about? Mm-hmm. Is it a mine? Is it a housing development? Is it a, a sewer, a wastewater treatment plant? And then what are the, what are the protections? Yeah. Uh, well, would yeah. you say with these specific groundwater protections we have mm-hmm. in Arizona, does that put us in a better place with, the, the recent ruling on WOTUS than, say, somewhere out east that might not have those additional layers? I think it does. I think it does. So the the, the recent ruling... Um, and we should probably get around yeah, to what yeah, that is. So this is uh, so there's, as I mentioned, there's been a series of Supreme Court lawsuits on the Clean Water Act, mm-hmm. and most of them deal with that question of jurisdiction. How far up in the landscape, how broadly across the landscape does does the federal jurisdiction related to interstate commerce apply. Um, the latest one was um, referred to Sackett, Sackett versus EPA. And mm-hmm. so the Sacketts are a, a, a couple up in northern Idaho who was trying to build a house. It turns out they were challenged over whether the, the construction uh, activities around their house violated the Clean Water Act because they were dredging and filling in something that was uh, arguably a, wa- um, a wetland. 
that works its way through a court system. It goes to the Supreme Court. It was argued last, I believe, October, October of 2022. Uh, decision or opinion came out in May of mm-hmm. 2023. Um, so the quick takeaway is it it had a more restrictive view of what Congress's powers under the Commerce Authority were. So rather than, uh, you know, we've had these sort of ex- series of expansions and contractions. So it doesn't say that the Clean Water Act doesn't apply. It just says the reading of how you, where it is on the landscape is a little bit more um, constrained than before. And it really aligns with that idea that most days of the year, if I go down and you put your foot on the ground, put your foot in this thing, is there water there? Is your foot going to get wet? Uh That's not the test they use, but it's it's essentially that. The things that you and I would look at, the things that many people would look at, like, man, that's a... That's a river. That's a stream. That's a yeah. lake. Those things are still protected. Well, maybe you could help me with one thing I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So, as I understand, they didn't ab- adopt the significant nexus portion that has so, been used for a long time, and then they went with relative permanent, which is to me just is, they're both pretty vague as far as terminology goes. Um, so, how I understood it now was you had to have a permanent body of water that was what was the term that we already used, but it had to be connected to a navigable body of water. Is that accurate? Or am I off base there? Um, and the, the, as far as how it's connected was some kind of, again, relative. Yeah. Permits. So I, I, I don't want to, I think I will get in trouble if we start to go down and like, okay, this, this applies, sure, this sure. doesn't apply, okay. but essentially, yes, it, it's, um, but where does that leave a, a small lake in Arizona. I assume a lake would be a navigable body of water, right? So there's a couple different versions of what navigable means. Navigable really comes in because of that that tie to the Commerce Clause. So you say, okay, well, Congress can't just go do these things. Congress has to have the power given to it by the states in the Constitution. So they have the power to regulate commerce between states. And so that's why you say, well, navigable streams are really something that you could have commerce between states. So that's the, the connection for navigability which makes it hard to have these isolated things. So if you have yeah. a lake that's completely isolated, it's completely within the boundaries of one state, you say, okay, well, just because you can float a boat on that lake, right. let's say um, Bear Canyon Lake. Yeah, you can float a boat around there. Gone out there, love it. Is that interstate commerce? Yeah. Arguably not. But is that covered under Arizona Surface Water Protection? Absolutely. Like those are those okay. are permanent water bodies that are, that are covered by the Arizona program. So again, it's that sort of, layered defenses or layered protections that, that afford that. Um, so we, I think we are, I think having the surface water protection program, having the aquifer protection program in place puts us in a better spot to have robust environmental protections of our water, regardless of what the fluctuations at the federal level are. And that was really the motivation behind the surface water protection program is to say, DC will do whatever DC does. It's gonna ping pong, it's gonna, it's gonna expand and contract, and we're still protected, we still have these things that we care about, they're protected, okay. that have these regulatory protections on them. So when these nine judges mm-hmm. um, ruled in favor of the Sacketts, mm-hmm. uh, how does that, and I'm, I'm really painting my ignorance here, yeah. but how does that differentiate from like, hey, these guys in these situations, in this particular situation, they were, they were good. They should be left alone. How does that translate into complete... Uh, uh, ugh, my words here, um, redefining WOTUS. So it, it's less going to be what, it's less going to be what the Supreme Court wrote, and it's going to be more about what rules the EPA and the Corps produce. Okay. And so it's that regulatory guidance that really governs, do you need a permit or not? What's been litigated is, does the guidance put out by the Obama administration or the Trump uh-huh. administration or the Biden administration, is that legal? And okay. that's, that's really kind of what the what the debate in the Supreme Court is. The Supreme Court is looking at whether the, the interpretation or whether the application of the Clean Water Act through these regulatory structures are are constitutional or not. Mm-hmm. And so they've laid out the what the Supreme Court thinks those sort of guiding principles are, the, the things that would make a WOTUS rule constitutional. Mm-hmm. And now it's back in the EPA and the Army Corps court to say, okay, this is what the court has said they think is constitutional in terms of the application of the Clean Water Act. Now you go put that into rules. And so that's what we're, 
the Biden administration was producing rules basically at the same time the Sackett decision came out. And so they, they're back, yeah, I guess back at the drawing board to say, okay, what, what okay. is the version of rules that will comply with the Supreme Court ruling? And I think okay. that's, what, that's what we'll see next is a more defined version of how do you know whether you're in or out? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> in the regards of a giant subject that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, interesting stuff, Chuck. Now, I, I wish that at the federal level they would do what we did at the, the, the state level, right? Just just give us a list. Yeah, yeah. Go through all the streams, say these are these are jurisdictional. If you are impacting these, you need to get a permit. Okay. Um, Interesting. I mean, imagine if, you know, go back to the hunting and angling thing, the analogy would be if uh, Game and Fish said, you can't practice catch and release on really warm days. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, that probably makes sense, dressing the fish and blah, blah, blah. But how are you going to impact that? Yeah. I, and it's a crime if you practice it on not really warm days. And so what do you have to do, Michael? You have to go out and hire a consultant every day be like, hey, is this, you know, here's yeah. a couple hundred bucks. Will you tell me if it's really warm today or not? Yeah, yeah. Rather than just saying, okay, we don't do that, sure. right? We yeah. say these are the rules or this stream is closed between these dates. And mm-hmm. so that's how we operate as, as hunters and anglers yeah. and with, with our state regulatory structures. They say, well, this is the season. Here's your limits. It doesn't say... Well, don't take too many rabbits. It says, yeah, right. here's that's your bag limit. It doesn't say, don't practice no, on that, these that's, days. That's a good parallel. Um, that's interesting. We just um, don't have that clarity at the federal clean water. Yeah. Right. So you're advocating for clear Absolutely. set of laws. All right. But every time you have so, clarity, something will be included and something won't. As soon yeah. as something's not, you're going to have a lot of oh, angry yeah. people that and, something's and, not Yeah, included. by the very nature of what we're talking about, it's not clear. Yeah. You know, yeah. as much as we want to make yeah. it clear. Um, you know, these same, same arguments are held in taxonomy. Yeah. Uh, discussions, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, and yeah. you're trying to, you're trying to put a box around something that doesn't necessarily have right. borders. I mean, the water is going to go from the top of Mount Graham to the right. Colorado river. Yeah. Um, at some point on that journey, it will be subject to the federal clean water act. At some point on that journey, it will be subject to the, mm-hmm. um, state, uh, surface water protection program. Yeah. At some points on that journey, it won't. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I don't, I, I can't say that based on this conversation mm-hmm. we've had thus far, um, but to be clear, as far as the law goes, a lot of what was protected in Arizona under WOTUS is now not protected. Is that an accurate statement? Under WOTUS, anyway. That's one way to put it. Okay. I, I would... I'm not I, arguing I take, no, yeah, pro so or I take con. A little, just, I mean, that's, that's a common way it's reported. Uh-huh. Really what the court said is not... is. Yes, you may have thought that that was protected, but that was unconstitutional. Okay. So there's an argument. Right. Of like, I see what okay, you're saying. Is it, right. If you said you couldn't do this, but yet you that was unconstitutional to say you can't do that, was it really prohibited or not? But yeah, the, 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 the common way it's reported is that things were protected, although probably unconstitutional, or were required to get permits. Then there are things that are not required to get permits okay. now. So, and I, I realize I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here, and I don't mean to. Yeah, I'm just trying yeah. to, these are the questions that come up. This is a fun part of the talks. If, if we do have important, whether they be ephemeral or intermittent wetlands mm-hmm. that are left without protections, and I, I know you did talk about groundwater protections, which I think is wonderful, and I'm not mm-hmm. hearing that. Um, so I like hearing that. Is there room at this, this point in the game um, to tighten things up at the state level? And if, and if there is, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So there is, I'm going to give you a very equivocal yes and no okay. to that. Uh, right. Yes in that there's an Department of Environmental Quality is required by law to go finish producing that list. So they were uh-huh. directed to put into rule, um, put into legally binding written guidance, what is in and what's out. Uh, they were given a deadline to do that, and that wasn't enough time. And so they they basically said, okay, we've we've processed these water bodies. These are definitely in, these are out, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot in their to-do list. And so there's still work to be done at the rule writing stage of the Bar- Arizona Department of Environmental Quality to make those determinations about what's in and what's out. So there's, so the answer to your question is yes from that, right? There's, there's presumably they will finish that rulemaking uh, they will. There's room for public input in that rulemaking. The no part of that answer is they're still bound by that statutory guidance about perennial, intermittent, and ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you know, you can't go lobby DEQ and say, I know the statute says you can't put an ephemeral water on this, but this one I really like, so you need to violate statute and put that right. on. So they're still constrained by that. Um, I think it's probably a more productive conversation. I mean, certainly anyone can go down and try and lobby the, the, the legislature and the governor to change the statute, right? Yeah. It's, it's just a law. It can be changed. Um, an alternative way to engage is to focus on something that uh, a more discreet place, mm -hmm. right? So there's an approach that says, hey, I want to have a fight about ephemeral streams. I know that there's these arguments out there. I know that it's hard to define. I know that, but I want to go into that. I want to have a fight with everyone about ephemeral streams. And I want to try and do the geomorphology challenge to pick out what is an ephemeral stream and what's just a little dip on the landscape. Um, I'm not going to have that fight, but good luck, you know, to, yeah. to, to go have that fight. I think an alternative is to say, I'm worried about this stream in this area as it's impacted by this proposed activity. Mm -hmm. Then it's a very, very discreet thing. So let's say that you have, you know. No, I like a, that because that's where a, my mind is going. Yeah, Relic leopard there's frogs, Chiricahua leopard frogs, narrow-headed yeah, garter snakes, endangered yeah, species. There's a proposed transmission line. There's a proposed mine. There's a proposed um, manufacturing facility. There's a proposed bridge in this spot mm -hmm. going over this thing. Um, then what are all the things it has to overcome? It might not be the Clean Water Act. It might not be um, the Surface Water Protection Program. But there are other things that govern yeah. you know, the the compliance of something, and I, that I might be a more discreet way to um, to accomplish what, okay. what people are trying to accomplish. I, I guess you know an issue that comes to mind would be, and and I'm I, somewhat playing devil's advocate yeah, here because yeah. because uh, uh, I do get the complexity here, but. You know, areas like that, say you have a population of relic leopard frogs somewhere, um, endangered species, mm -hmm. needs all the habitat it can yep. get, right? And its little tiny wetland that it exists in is downstream from this dry riverbed that is, that, I mean, that's its lifeblood. That's where mm -hmm. it gets filled up from. Um, but then you have a mining operation or, or something that would have been precluded or, or would have been stopped by some better regulation. And again, well, I, I could be way yeah. the hell off base here, getting into the weeds. Um, but that's why I got you here. Yeah. Um, and, and it could be taken out. Or this habitat with this one species could be taken out or ruined by things that are happening up here because this is an ephemeral stream. So there's a couple things going on there, okay. and, and, and I love the hypotheticals because that puts a little bit more more contract on it. So in that hypothetical, we have an endangered species, which changes everything. Right? Mm -hmm. You, you, the impact of the Clean Water Act is a lot less important if you have an endangered species. So you, you know, the proposed land or the you know the potential hypothetical land activity, if that's impacting the endangered species, if you can show those connections between what they're doing and the mm -hmm. impact of endangered species, like you don't need the Clean Water Act. You have okay. to, like, that, that activity has to go out that. Um, the existence of, or the applicability of the Clean Water Act to that stream, to the ephemeral stream in that hypothetical, doesn't stop, you know, if, if I think we had a mine in that hypothetical, it doesn't stop the mine. What it says is if you're gonna discharge something to this river, it has to comply with these standards. Um, and that's one of the challenges, right? A lot of these, these environmental laws do great things, but they also get used as, as proxies. Sure. Someone says, I don't want public lands ranching. I don't want a new housing development. I don't want a mine. Therefore, I'm going to use this tool to make that thing stop. Right. And I think the trick is, or not the trick, but you then sort of probe that more and say, okay, if this mine, this ranch, this thing, if that could comply with the rule, if it could comply with the terms of permit, would you be okay with it? If you're like, no, I just want it to go away. Like, okay, well then we're not really arguing about the Clean Water Act. Right. We're arguing that as a tool to do something else that sure. you want to happen. Um, <clears throat> so there's the uh, so there's the endangered species nature of that. There's the ability of that mine to exist even with a permit, right? We, we're really good with water quality. We know how to put things in water. We know how to get things out of water. We can treat water really, really well. And so the, the existence of a permit doesn't necessarily stop an activity from happening. It just makes it, it makes, it potentially makes the treatment more robust and, and, and more costly. Mm -hmm. um, anything that would be detrimental to go in that river 
just needs to be taken out before yeah. it goes in that river. So you can still have that housing development, that mine, that road, that um, ranching exist. And then there's the um, the there's been some litigation. There's been some involvement in the in the Federal Clean Water Act uh, legal world about where the water, like where is the discharge, right? So if I've got, you know, let's take the extreme. Let's take, I've got a city water treatment plant, wastewater treatment plant. I've got, well, let's say it's not a water treatment plant. Like I just got a bunch of, a pipe with a bunch of sewage coming out. Mm -hmm. I set that in the Colorado River. Everyone's like, yeah, that's a discharge of the Colorado River. You need to have a permit for that. Let's say I back that off three feet and I dump it on the ground and it runs across the ground into the Colorado River. Like, that doesn't get you off scot-free. That is still discharging. Yeah. You are still putting pollution in that river. And so the pipe doesn't necessarily have to touch the water that's sure. going in order to be jurisdictional. And so there's still, okay, you know, there's a, over time, there'll be some attenuation, um, you know, five feet, 10 feet of ephemeral stream between the thing you care about and the discharge point, 100 feet. I, it, it really depends on what it is, what the flows are. Um, but there still can be some connection, even if there's something that's non-jurisdictional, a flat piece of ground, uh, anything else. Gotcha. Um, Which isn't to argue, but again, to that devil's advocate point, right? Like, so take a thing about, like, I care about these frogs and I care about this thing happening. And it's it's not just, you know, some of what we do. There's a lot of just outrage in the world, right? Yeah. We want to get mad. Oh, I'm mad at sure. so-and-so. I'm mad at the judges. I'm mad at this. And like, okay, let's, let's take a deep breath. Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the whole regulatory situation and see how it plays out. And then when you do that, it's... Not always better, but sometimes, I, oh, oh, okay, well, that's a thing. Those are the places I can engage in. Those are the things I can do. Right. That's what I should be looking at. You know, it, it's funny because I feel like I need to tiptoe around some of this because uh, it's controversial. But when, when it comes down to it, it's been crystal clear to me that all stakeholders, despite political affiliation, um, despite environmental affiliation or or whatever. Everybody cares about water in the state. For sure. Everybody cares about it. Um, so that's good. Yep. Um, but now I'm thinking, I'm thinking along the lines. I, I was fortunate to uh, to get to uh, do a through hike of the Continental Divide Trail one time. Mm -hmm. So I hiked all the way from Mexico all the way to Canada through the Rocky yeah. Mountains. One of the best that's trips fantastic. I've ever taken. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can tell you that 80% of the streams that I filled up my water bottle from yeah. also had cow feces um, and <laughs> and hoof prints and, yep. and eroded the, the riparian habitat was basically kind of ruined yep. and and i want to be clear here i'm saying that in the context that i realize that ranchers care about clean water too yep. so so we're all on the same page here yeah but um and and i'm certainly not necessarily anti anti-ranching on public lands i, I I'm, I'm pro responsible uh, yep. range management um but that's a little disheartening at the same time you yeah. know to see the the most most beautiful what, what did uh um oh i can't believe i'm, I'm blanking on it robert robert redford uh jeremiah johnson okay called yeah, it yeah. the the, what, the marrow of marrow i don't know yeah. backbone of the united states yeah. it's a beautiful country we have to offer and and still it's like it was still just tore up you know yeah. and uh, that's a little disheartening but when it comes to actually what we call pollution um, mm -hmm. or any kind of deg degradation of surface water, yep. where does that fall in? And are there regulatory concepts around that taken out, say, you know, like you said, with the nature species, it's a completely different ballgame. Mm -hmm. Take that out of it. Are there any regulations around that or is that a place by place? In terms of pollution entering that's not from like a discrete discharge. Right. So that's a that's a lot tougher because it's, Within the Clean Water Act world, a lot of it we focus on what we call point sources. Mm -hmm. this, this point source that you can have a permit for. There's also a whole world of, of regulatory things around non-point source. So think of, um, think the, the common one that comes up is uh, fertilizer. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're putting something out on the landscape, but there's something that exists very diffuse. You can't point to a pipe. You can't point to a canal. You can't point to a... a, a channel that brings it to, to a water source. It's this sort of moving down through the, mm -hmm. the earth. That's, um, I think that's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to pinpoint. It's a lot harder to attribute. Mm -hmm. You know, if you own a pipe, you own a factory, it's got a pipe at the end, 
you're responsible for what comes out of that clear, pipe. Yeah. Um, if there's a stream channel that has elevated levels of something, mm-hmm. you have to go look at everything up above. Um, oh, sure. We have mercury here in our yeah. in northern Arizona lakes. Yeah. Um, and it is, I think the regular structure around that is just a lot more difficult. I think in many ways it's a lot more, um, it's not as mature in terms of how do you uh-huh. find a th- someone, how do you f- hold them responsible, how do you make them get, get a permit to do that. There's this, you know, that comes into more best management practices, these watershed managements and, and trying to get um, users of the, the land to do these sort of best practices, but it's harder. It's it's a lot harder to attribute fault in that point. And that's really key in a regulatory thing is yeah. who's doing something and how do you right how do you regulate that yeah. activity. Man, Chuck, this stuff is complex. Yeah. I, I appreciate <laughs> I, I really do appreciate your thoughtful approach to thinking about these things. Because yeah. quite honestly, it's easier just to shout what your friends are saying, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and not really dig into it and give it thought. But that takes time, right? Like, to, to, to sit <laughs> yeah. down and do that. And I mean, I, you know, we're in this world where you know, we flip through some social media, find a compelling picture, and then sort right. of yell about yeah. that. Um, and the, the truth yeah. is, we are busy here yeah. in the United States. It's it's. Well, and, and the risk of that is to, I think, lose sight of of the other side of the people that may not agree with you. And I, mm-hmm. I get back to that that when you sit down, I've sat down with stakeholders across the spectrum. Land users, environmental advocates, public land managers, everyone agrees on it. It's just a matter of to do right. like, okay, this is a little too far. This is not far enough. There's sure. not a group of people out there who say, I hate water. I want to pollute this stuff. <laughs> like that, there's not a constituency right. for that. Yeah. And it's a matter of just like, yeah, yeah. It's all matters of degree. Um, I feel like I'm leaving this conversation with m- more questions than I had coming into <laughs> it. But quite honestly, I mean, it's I, I don't even know how to really articulate them either. Yeah, um, yeah. The stuff's complicated, and I have a ton to learn about but, this. But I, would, I don't want – part of the, the challenge of complexity is it can scare people off. Yeah. Right. The simple answer, you know, retweet a thing, write a form letter of just says, I- I'm mad. I want more regulation. I want femorals. The harder part is you're like, okay, it gets complex, but that's not to scare people away, right? Uh-huh. That says, if there's something you care about, engage. I think, again, back to, to ADEQ, they've done, a, I think, a phenomenal job at engaging both the general public as well as the regulated community. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've found under multiple administrations their openness, their ability to see what they're doing, their ability to make your voice heard, your ability to, to weigh in. Right. And and just an email to ADQ director Karen Peters that says I love ephemeral streams like that's not going to move the needle. But engaging yeah. and saying, watching them looking at public notice, saying this there's this proposed permit for this activity and this thing I care about. Let me spend the time to read it and weigh in and say I think you shouldn't do this because of this reason. Yeah, um, we can make you know listeners you make your voice heard it's just it's that it takes a little bit more time to do it in that way that's going to get some traction and and move the needle on these yeah. things yeah interesting yeah i i would certainly encourage everyone to to be an advocate you know in, in one form or another but also be a thoughtful advocate you know yeah. do your homework talk to folks like you yeah listen to podcasts like this yeah um get yourself informed and and, and try to make good good thoughtful decisions yeah this podcast but, is great. I, I love the, the range of issues. I think oh, that's, yeah. that's something it's that fun. It's you really, know, yeah. I often complain to my boss uh, that it's like if I, if you know, I'm five years in, into yeah. this position yeah. um, and I feel like I just know enough to get myself in trouble, right? <laughs> but but my argument is like if I just worked on water policy for the past five years, yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty good yeah. at water yeah. policy. Yeah. But <laughs> we, we touch on so many different things, which is a great problem to yeah. have. It keeps things interesting. And I don't just care about one huh. thing. I care about a lot of things. So, well, hopefully, hopefully the audience. I mean, that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I tune in, right? We're, what, what are I going to learn about this time? Raptors, trapping, water yeah. policy, public lands debates. That's... That's what makes it interesting. So. Yeah, that is interesting yeah. stuff. I'm, I'm in a good position. Well, Chuck, what, did we leave anything off the table that you think is, is important to bring up? No, I think we I think we really did cover that. It's it's complex. There's not bad people on the other side, mm-hmm. regardless of which side you're sitting on. 
and there's not two sides, right? There's there's a lot yeah. of different sides of that. I think there is a place for people to engage. I think it takes a little bit of time. It takes getting out of those silos. It's mm-hmm. you know, go ask someone that you disagree with. All right. Um, so to summarize, at least mm-hmm. in my words, and, and I hope I don't screw this up, but with the Sackett decision, it's not necessarily the sky is falling. We're, we're not no. doomed in Arizona. No. Uh, we have current laws that are already in place protecting our water resources. Um, there could be room for tightening up yep. other laws and to go out there and advocate for things that you care about, and, and you absolutely should. Um, I guess that, that, that pretty yeah. well summarizes the discussion in a real simple form. Yeah, I don't want to gloss over that. It, you know, the, the the reach of the Clean Water Act is different in Arizona pre-Sackett and post-Sackett. Okay. Full stop. But now to say that that gap represents something that is completely unfilled, that's, I think, where it's missing. And that's where understanding of, okay. of existing federal and state programs sort of fills that in. There may still be some gaps. There may yeah. be still something that to some of your listeners say, I know, I know all that. I get all those, mm-hmm. but there's still an area that I care about. That's where you sure. should engage. So rather than saying, well, this whole thing, and then being said, well, well, those, that's not really a gap because yeah. of these reasons. Say, okay, well, this is truly a gap. This is a thing I care about for these reasons, for this frog in this site. Mm-hmm. That's where to go engage. And so taking that next layer in, saying where is truly the gap, that's yeah. where I should go focus your energy. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear rumblings of, of lots of water legislation yeah. and, and maybe a little bit of a controversy uh, coming with the state legislature this year. So we'll see how all, all that yeah. comes out in the wash. No pun intended there. Yeah. But uh, no, it'll be it'll be a busy year, I think. Um, again, in the water world, we, we kind of separate things into these water quality fights and water quantity fights. Right. Um, I don't know that there's a lot on the horizon in terms of water quality. I, I think you know, DEQ is still implementing surface water protection program. I don't think there's a lot going in that world, maybe around the margins. But I think, you know, to your point, some of the, the, the brewing fights are more on that sure. water, um, water quantity thing. How yeah, are we regulating it. people taking groundwater out? How are we sure. regulating, you know, how are we dealing with new housing, new industry, new demands mm-hmm. in the state? And I think we'll, we'll see. It'll be yeah. potential for an interesting session right. on those angles. Yeah, well, obviously the Arizona Wildlife Federation interest falls in surface water, water mm-hmm. that is available to wildlife. But yeah. of course, if you drain an aquifer, you also you lose springs, you lose so, that surface, loss, yeah. surface water. So, yeah, complicated stuff, man. Absolutely. Maybe maybe I'm just simple, <laughs> simple-minded, but boy, it's just, it's just the, like I said, going back to when we started, the very nature of water, it's like, it's it's a fluid and moving thing in various forms mm-hmm. and how do you how do you define you know what's what there yeah. that's really hard yeah but important yeah. for sure we all depend on it fantastic field to work in well chuck i, I want to say thanks man I, again yeah. I, I already commented but i'm going to say it again i appreciate your thoughtful approach to this because this is complicated stuff and we need thinking people like you working on it yeah so thanks for thanks that for thanks for being Michael. here today yeah appreciate it thanks for everything you do all right All right, I uh, I find Chuck's personality, ideas, and philosophy on on complicated subjects uh, quite pragmatic and, and refreshing. Um, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. Uh, it's a nuanced subject enough that uh, you know a lot of those a lot of those ways might not be necessarily wrong or right. But uh, I, I appreciate pragmatism. I appreciate varied varied outlooks on complicated subjects. Um, and, I, and I think that's what we got between our podcast with uh, Joan Card, again, back that was episode 23, and this one with Chuck Podolak. So I hope you learned a lot, um, and I hope it arms you with the knowledge you need to go forth, advocate for waters in Arizona the way you see uh, fit and appropriate. And um, yeah, it's important. So use your voice, speak up when and where necessary regarding all things, uh, you know, that, that affect our environment, habitat, ecosystems here in Arizona. And water is important to everyone. It's important to you, me, uh, agriculture, um, and most notably in my world, wildlife. All right, with all that, don't forget this episode uh, was made possible by the Arizona Wildlife Federation. Uh, the Arizona Wildlife Federation uh, turned 100 years old this year. I've talked about that a lot in the past, uh, but boy, it's a big deal. Oldest conservation organization in the state, so if nothing else, we got staying power. And um, if you'd like to support the work we do, uh, the work for wildlife, the work for habitat, 
the work for public lands and your access to those public lands, you can do so by visiting the link in the show notes and uh, scrolling around our website. If you like what I see, what if you like what you see, there's going to be opportunities on there to uh, click on a link and support our work. Uh, by doing so, you can get our quarterly glossy color magazine with lots of great articles about Arizona's public lands, wildlife, and habitat. And um, I know you'll enjoy it. But most importantly, you will be supporting the the great work that this organization does and that I am so darn proud of. All right. With that, we will see you again in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening.